Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. So one of the most important things I need to recognize and that I have come to recognize is that it's not my job to build the church. It's not the deacon's job to build the church. It's none of your job to build the church. I know this because in Matthew 16, 18, it says, Peter, this is Jesus meeting with Peter, and he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He says to Peter, I will build my church, and I will use you to do it. And so when we think about the church and we think about the concept of church and just remind ourselves the church is not a building, it's a mission, it's the body of Christ, it's the members, many members of one body, that it's Christ who builds the church and then we are to be obedient to his, uh, his clarity that he gives us within the church, his, his guidance through the Holy Spirit. And so we're not building the church. It's not our job to build the church. It's Jesus' job to build the church. It's our job to listen to the Holy Spirit through God's word on how we're to do that, what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be in following his instructions. And so Jesus is going to build his church. It's just whether are we going to be open to him using us or not, right? Do you realize today in China and in India and in Africa, the church is expanding like it never has before in the history of the world? That Jesus is truly building his church. He's building it in places that languages none of us speak and in places of the world none of us have been to. And maybe we see in Europe and and in our country and then maybe the developed nations, it's not growing to the same level. He's still building his church. He's still doing the work that he told us he would do. And my, my prayer for all of us in this room and my prayer for myself, for my family, for my children, is that we would never miss out on what God is doing. That we wouldn't be so focused on our own lives and our own paths and our own desires that we would miss the work of God that he's called us to, that he's inviting us into, that he wants us to be a part of. And so that's, the, that's my goal is that you sense the calling of God, that you recognize, yes, we're talking about deacons, but we're all ministers. We're all part of the ministry that God has called us to. And so there was an issue in the first church. It's an issue that exists today. It's a challenge that we find. And we, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. It'll be in the sermon-based notes. Uh, it'll be on the screen. Uh, but As we look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we're going to see the problem shows itself in the beginning. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the challenge was, is you had these Jewish widows and and possibly you had some Hellenistic Jewish or Hellenistic uh, widows. And so you had this conflict of culture. Uh, you had two groupings of people coming together. Really, you had the Greeks and then you had the, the Jews. And they're trying to get along within the body of Christ. And this was a new concept, a new idea. A lot of people came in with their own kind of prejudices. They came in with their own ways to doing it. And there was a struggle. And there was, uh, there was an overlooking of people who needed help. The widows needed someone to help them. They could not do it on their own. They were finding themselves frustrated. They are finding themselves in a situation they didn't want to be in. And so here we see this challenge, the problem of how is the church to deal with people that are in the middle of crisis? 
When your neighbor is going through a crisis, when your child is going through a crisis, when your grandchild is going through a crisis, when you're going through a crisis, how is the church to handle that? What is the church supposed to be doing? If our mission is to be disciples who make disciples of all generations, how do we help people in crisis? How do we help people that are going through very difficult problems that they themselves are looking for help? They want to be helped. They need someone to come along and be there for them in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their crisis. What is the role and responsibility of the church? How do we overcome this? Well, God gives us a clear answer as we continue on through that passage in verse 2. It says, so the 12 gathered all disciples together and said, it would not be good, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So that seems... Uh, as we look at it from the very beginning here, that's a pretty harsh response, but they are taking in account that their mission is a new mission. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all the resources we have today. They were very limited in what they had, and they recognized that if they didn't do this ministry of prayer and, and teaching, then that would fall away, and so that was such an important thing for them to be doing, but they also recognized that these widows need to be helped, that people in crisis needed to be ministered to, and so they, they made a Christ-centered plan. In verse 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And so there was a challenge. The widows needed help. They were in crisis. The leadership got together and said, Look, we can't help them specifically, but we can organize those that can we're not going to overlook them. We're not going to say it doesn't matter. We're not going to say that's not part of our, our ministry. But we're going to say this is something we're going to delegate to specific people that they will work on this part of the ministry of the church. Maybe in your life you have had issues. You've had challenges. This is, to me, very nuts and bolts. This is really ground level for all of us. How many times in your family life, how many times in your work life has there been a conflict has there been a challenge? And sometimes what that causes is it causes us to rip apart instead of become unified, right? It causes us to divide instead of unify. And here the, the leadership said, let's get together. Let's talk about the problem. And here is a possible solution. And so they came up with a plan. And so they said, go pick out seven of these godly men that can help with this issue so that we can make sure it is dealt with. And so they went and found seven. Verse 4, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so I think this is so vitally important that we recognize that there are many positions within the church. There are those that are prayer and seek God's word. And listen, I know that most people can't spend their whole week studying God's word to present a sermon. Most people can't study God's word all week so they can present a Sunday school lesson or a Bible study lesson. That's not something everyone can do. And so we set aside certain positions for people to be praying and seeking God's word so that they can minister in that way. But the reality is there's so much ministry to be done that we all need to be ministers. And maybe you can't get up here and give a sermon or you can't uh, teach a Sunday school class or, or a Bible study, but you can minister 
You can come alongside and care for someone in need, someone in crisis. You can come alongside and provide food or, or just be there to be a listening ear or, or be there to be an encouragement or, or come along to support someone as they need a ride somewhere or they need help with something or they find themselves in a, a midst of crisis and they see no answer and they feel lonely and they feel afraid. You coming and just investing in their life, that is your ministry, that is your calling, that is what God put you as part of the church to do. And so here we see that there are seven uh, men that are chosen because of their character. They're chosen because people in the community knew uh, these guys are good. They, they, they're loving, they're Christ-centered, they're, they're men of integrity, they're men of honor. And so they chose these seven. And so after they had chosen the seven, they returned <coughs> in verse five. And this is what they did. They, the, this proposal pleased the whole group. Right? They came back to everybody and they said, hey, we recognize there's a problem. We recognize that these widows are being overlooked and we've come up with a plan. We're going to pick these seven individuals and they're going to minister and commit themselves to making sure these widows don't get overlooked, that this problem is dealt with, that those that find themselves in crisis are ministered to. And so here's the plan. And they gave the plan and the, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Purcurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch. Really easy names that they picked, right? <laughs> A convert to Judaism. They work together in unity and order. And there's two things that stick out to me here, and this is so valuable. All of us are known for something. All of us are known for something. We are known within our community. We're known within our family. We're known within our neighborhood. We're known within our place of work. We're known within our, uh, wherever we go. You're known here for things. You're known for something. And here, these individuals were known to be individuals that followed the Holy Spirit of God. And that's convicting to me because it says, am I known for that? Are you known for that? If we said there's a group of people over here that they need help and I'm looking for the most godly people to help them, to support them, would your name be on that list? Would you be someone that would apply and be called? I know that, that can be harsh, but the truth is that can be really healthy motivation for me. That I would live in such a way that people would see Christ in me and they would know that I am led by the Holy Spirit of God. And if I'm not led by the Holy Spirit of God, this is a good opportunity to readjust my life. When I feel the guilt that maybe they wouldn't see that in me, maybe they wouldn't see the Holy Spirit, well, then this is a great opportunity then for me to get that right. That's the beauty of it. It's not to beat yourself up. It's not to feel guilty about it. It's to say, well, then how could I get to that place where I'm so committed to the Lord that people see that in me and they know that that's who I am? And so this pleased the group. The individuals made the commitment and they, they took the steps of faith and moved forward. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so this morning as we apply this to our life, our prayer is that we would be a healthy church. That this would be a healthy mission. That as you come here, that 
that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would speak directly to you, that you would see the places where uh, maybe you need to confess sin, ask for forgiveness, and then move forward, and that you'd begin to see that your life is a mission. Your life is a mission, and your mission is to, to fulfill the ministry that God has given you, and that you would get excited about the fact that God made you on purpose from the foundations of the earth. He purposely put you into existence for a plan that he has to reveal his love for the world. That's impressive. That's a pretty amazing thing for all of us to realize. And part of that plan is living in obedience. Part of that plan is to live a life that is spirit-filled, spirit-led, and that calls us to a higher calling. And so this morning, we want to focus in that God has done this here at our church. You know, sometimes we read scripture, oh, 2,000 years ago. Oh, this church did this in a, long, in a place where they speak a different language a long time ago in a different culture, a different time. All these things are so different. What about today? We're the church. You and I are part of the body of Christ. And we have seen the Holy Spirit work in individuals within our body. And we said these are individuals that are led by the Holy Spirit of God that we see his reflection. When we look at them and we listen to them, we see how they live and interact with other people. We see their character. We see what kind of person they are uh, on a regular basis. We begin to see that the Holy Spirit is doing a great work in their life. And because of that, uh, we have agreed upon these are the individuals we would like to, to set as this is their ministry. Their ministry is to be a deacon of the church, to serve those within the body of Christ, to serve those in our body. So that when you're in a crisis, your grandchild is in a crisis, your neighbor's in a crisis, there are individuals within the church that come alongside and say, how can we help? How can we show the love of Christ to this person? How can we support them? How can we be part of their life to bring them through this crisis? You know, as we consider this powerful opportunity, one of the things in, in I learned in Malawi is just sometimes in the United States, uh, we're very individualistic. And we move away from positions. And, and, you know, I hear people say, you know, well, the kids don't, they can, you know, the kids can call me by my first name. And, you know, we kind of lose some of that honor. We lose some of that, you know, that respect that, that's, I think, important. And I think respect is something that God wants us to have for each other and to honor each other and to be able to put, put someone above yourself and make sure that they feel the, they know the sense that, um, you're thankful for them. And so as we consider our deacons, let's support them in prayer. Uh, let's encourage them. Let's come alongside and be there uh, as they've been called to serve us as well. And as we think about disciples um, and being a disciple of Christ, we can see how this was dealt with in Acts chapter 6, and we can apply it to our lives. Maybe you're having conflict in your family. Maybe you're having conflict somewhere. Well, don't overlook the conflict. Don't overlook the crisis. Don't pretend like the crisis isn't happening or isn't there. As believers, we're called to actually lean into the pain. We're to get involved. We're to become part of the solution or part of the healing. And so I would encourage you to look at Acts chapter 6 and to see a godly way of dealing with crisis, a godly way of dealing with conflict, a godly way of overcoming situations and challenges in life, because we're going to go through those all of our lives. And then how we live matters. How you and I live, it really matters. Uh, I always think about that dash between your birth and your death. That represents your whole life. That represents your character. That represents the legacy you're leaving behind. When people think of your name, they think of maybe two or three things. What are those things? Is that what you would like it to be? Everyone matters in, in the church. There's no one in this whole church 
that should be overlooked. And one of the things that we do is we make deacon flocks. So we're going to we divide the church into four equal groups, and you have a deacon that is there to serve you and to minister to you and to support you. So when you have a crisis or someone you know has a crisis, they're going to be there to walk alongside and, and talk about how can we help or what can we do to support you through this. And so uh, in the weeks to come, you'll be contacted by your deacon, and they're there to support you. They're there to be encouraged. They're the connecting point for all of us, that everyone has a place in the midst of a crisis that they can turn to and they can connect with. And so these four gentlemen are going to be representing the body in, in, in one-fourth of, of service there. So we're excited for that, and we're, we want you to be aware of that so you know that you do have someone that's there for you in the midst of crisis. And then Jesus wants his church to serve those in crisis. When Jesus died on the cross, he saved us from, in a moment, we're remember that through communion. But you know, everyone's in a crisis that doesn't know the Lord. Everyone is in crisis who thinks that this world has something to offer them. Everyone is in crisis who's not in right relationship with God. And so therefore, we are called to minister to everyone we see. We're called to point everyone to the Lord. And so as we've recognized our deacons and we've recognized that God has created the church and Jesus is going to build the church and we're to be ministers within that church, let us consider the fact that the greatest crisis in our life has been dealt with. The greatest crisis you could ever have is separation from God eternally. The greatest crisis is to not know Jesus when you pass from this life to the next. The greatest crisis is sin and the consequences of it. And Jesus healed us and saved us from that crisis. And so as we come to his table now and we reflect on that truth, let's take a moment just to really listen. Stop all the distractions of this life, of this place, of this time, and truly focus our hearts on the Lord.